Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 103. This week, we talk with Jeff Blankenberg about magic wands and home automation, 10 SQL tricks that you didn't think were possible, Windows adds the best gesture ever, and is Apple a Microsoft OEM? This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week we have Jeff Blankenberg. He is the founder of Stir Trek, the conference that sold out in 45 seconds. How's it going, Jeff? Take that, Bill. Good. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take that build. Yeah, build. It was like 48 seconds, right? <laughs> right. And our tickets are slightly more affordable at $75. So yeah. that makes a difference too. Yeah. Why don't you mention, I, you know, I, I know we talked about this the last time you were on, but that was like 15 years ago. Huh. Uh, <laughs> so mention what uh, Stir Trek is again, because it's so cool. Sure. So uh, we had this idea way back when uh, Microsoft had a conference called Mix. And uh, I was working at Microsoft at the time and said, hey, we'd really like to do a Mix someplace else. And we reached out to them and they said, oh, that's great. You can do all the content. You can even invite some speakers, but you're not allowed to use the word mix at all. And so, <laughs> so we came up with the, the name Stir Trek instead as a kind of a thumbing of the nose to, to mix. Um, yeah. And, and ah, I didn't, I didn't even know that. So, yeah. so the word, how, like, how do you protect the word mix? I mean, did they like trademark it? Uh, in that? I don't know. Okay. I mean, I was a Microsoft employee, so I was trying to play nice. <laughs> I, um, okay. But uh, so we held it in a movie theater. We wanted to do it on the day a big movie opened, have a conference, and then everybody gets to see the movie after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. That was the year that that came out. And so we thought we'd change the name of the conference every year. You know, the next year was Iron Man 2. We thought we'd do like Iron Mix or, you know, whatever. We weren't yeah. sure what the names were going to be, but we thought we'd change it every year. Uh, and Star Trek was kind of popular and uh, the name just kind of stuck. So that's that's where it came from. Uh, but yeah. we're, in, we're in our eighth year now. We're doing uh, the new Captain America Civil War movie this year. Um, and, uh, it's, it's evolved into a really cool thing. We've got 1600 people every year, uh, coming to have a full day of, you know, software development knowledge dropped on them. And, uh, we ran out eight, eight of the, the movie theaters in a, in a cinemaplex. Um, yeah. and now, you know, now we send out loot crates as part of our registration boxes and all sorts of other stuff. So it's, uh, it's turned into a, a really fun event. That is awesome. Yeah, we were we were chatting on Twitter and I don't know, you started talking about magic wands and stuff. So I'm like, okay, we gotta talk to Jeff again and see what he's up to. <laughs> yeah. So uh so Carl, we uh we have video now. Yeah, we do. Uh we last episode we actually just said, Hey, let's try it. And it actually yeah. turned out pretty good. And uh, it added a lot of context, I think, because we talked a little bit. Our, our guest was actually talking on a phone that he had conferenced in, like an old <laughs> handset style phone. Yeah. And you get to see that. Uh, so this time on this episode, hopefully we have a, a at least a, an intro on there. So we have a little bit of a video intro now, at least a, something for the time being. And it, uh, it's worth checking out just for the video intro. Like the video <laughs> intro is better than the show. Like just go watch that. <laughs> Jason had way too much fun making it. I, in fact, I yeah. was not in town and he was like hitting me up constantly on Slack. How about this? How about this? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I went a little crazy. Yeah. And we also are going to be posting these not only on channel nine, like we have, but also on YouTube. So if you're into YouTube, uh, you can actually subscribe to our channel there. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I do love channel nine and, and I wanted to keep everything there, but honestly, like the subscribe options and stuff aren't, 
aren't the best because like everybody has YouTube on like everything. You know, I watch a lot of YouTube, like on my Roku and being able to subscribe makes it so easy to see when the new content comes out. So I think it's just, we're, we're going where, where people are. So we'll continue to go on channel nine, but we'll also be on YouTube. Uh, one thing I would ask for everybody, I know Carl said to subscribe, but please just go out there and subscribe. Let's bump those. Let's try to bump those numbers up. Uh, right now I think we're at like five, you know, as of like the time that I'm speaking, hopefully it's way higher whenever you go out there, but we need to, we need people to see that this is like, you know, that, that YouTube part is legitimate because we haven't had years to build up that subscriber base. So just do us a favor, go out and do that. And then the other thing is you can obviously go out there and leave comments on the, uh, on the episodes and hopefully they'll be better than standard YouTube (laughs) comments. Uh, but you know, that gives you another place. In fact, I think what we'll do, uh, I guess it can't be, it can't really be for the, the next episode. Well, in a future episode for a couple episodes, what I'll do is I'll take the comments from YouTube, assuming we get any there. Um, so if you want our, your comment to be seen, go there first and then we'll start monitoring everything else again. Okay. Who is our Infragistics ultimate winner of the week? This week, it's Joseph Woodward. He reached out to us on Twitter and said, after listening to the MS Dev show, I'm looking forward to having a play with Azure Functions tonight. And uh, he's awesome. also going to be having a play with the Infragistics ultimate license. Um, yeah. So if you want to get mentioned on the show like Joseph, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, and now YouTube. Yep, Exactly. Uh, okay, so let's jump into the news. There's lots of stuff going on. So I know the first thing you have on here is Xamarin Evolve. Honestly, I haven't been watching that closely. So uh, I, have you, Carl? No, my week has been just taken up in <laughs> so, all so, sorts of things. You know, if you want terrible coverage of Xamarin Evolve, come here first, people. <laughs> 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 I've seen a couple of tweets come out of it. So I guess I kind of apologize. I went out there and looked. I mean, they they are revving like some of the versions of some of the things. They have like a beta of version six and, and a couple other cool things out there. And they did show off some of the things that were also announced at Build. Um, like some of the, uh, that the new emulator for iOS and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, the, the Xamarin stuff, you know, with, with .NET core and all these other things going on is, is going to, you know, like I think the acceleration of how cool it is, is just going to really increase. And then for those who didn't hear, I mean, it's all, it's free now. Um, there are still some paid services for things where they need hardware, like the, the test cloud and things like that. I think you still have to pay for, but Xamarin itself is free and it even works with the free version of visual studio. So all that stuff is pretty cool. Uh, okay. So then, uh, 10 SQL tricks that you didn't know were possible. what do you think of these ones, Carl? So, you know, I, I will say, I, I definitely learned a bunch of things yeah. uh, from here. Uh, you know, even things that you, you know, I kind of maybe knew in the back of my head, but it just didn't hit me in the face. Like everything is a table. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the first one that there was. And, you know, you know, thinking about it, it, it makes sense that everything in SQL is a table. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how SQL works, right? Yeah. It's exactly how it works. But then there's, mm-hmm. they just go on to do like some totally crazy uh, <laughs> things, like showing yeah. how SQL is Turing complete. Yeah. Yeah. They do like a Mandelbrot set, which was pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. And then there was, uh, there were things in here, like just, just interesting problems, like the whole, uh, thing on stack overflow and on GitHub, where they tell you like the number of consecutive times that you've logged in, uh, or number of consecutive days that you've logged in, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, finding the length of a series, uh, what else do they have in here? 
subset problem with SQL, which was which was pretty cool. And, and there's some things that you know I definitely knew that could be done in SQL, but I didn't realize like how how difficult they are to do in like a standard uh, programming language. Yeah. So you know, yeah. I, I think that's the other thing is you know definitely you know there's there's always a right tool for the right job, and sometimes you know SQL is a is a very unique tool that we don't quite give it all the credit that it deserves. Yeah. Cool. So check that out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, what do we got next here? Microsoft's excellent Windows phone keyboard is now available for iOS. Yeah. So I installed this. Yes, I have installed this. So this was one that I was excited about. And I actually, uh, uh, so it's the new WordFlow keyboard. So where you can just yep. drag your, your finger around and it'll, you know, dynamically put the word together for you. And yep. uh, a few weeks ago, Microsoft released another keyboard. And I thought that this was the one that was released back then. And yeah, I actually installed I it. I was like, oh, I'm confused. How did that happen? <laughs> How many keyboards are they working on? But this one is a, a, is vastly superior to the iOS keyboard, even considering that keyboards, uh, third-party keyboards are a little wonky on iOS. This yeah. still is way better uh, just for the, like I said, having that, uh, uh, that kind of word flow aspect to it, as well as the uh, uh, word predictions and word corrections. They do a lot yeah. better job. And the one-handed mode, which is pretty freaking amazing. You push the one button and the cur- the keyboard goes like curved and you can use one one hand on with your phone and it works amazingly well. Yeah. So Jeff, what kind of phone do you have now? Uh, I'm currently uh, holding a iPhone 6. Okay. Yeah, so make sure you get the WordFlow keyboard. It's pretty good. Yeah, I got it yesterday. I'm I'm pretty impressed. Oh, okay. I was I was obviously a huge fan of Windows Phone for a long time. Yep. Uh, and I their keyboard is still the best in my opinion. It is. It is. And it, and I've explained this before on the show, but you know, I, I, I started out, well, I didn't start out on iPhone, but like I had iPhone for, for a couple of years and then I switched over to windows phone. And it was funny because Carl was always telling me how great the keyboard was. And, and it was interesting because I didn't really, I didn't really like feel it. It just, it was something that you, it didn't really feel like it was getting better. And I used the windows phone keyboard for a long time. And then I tried to use the iPhone keyboard again. And then, then I realized how bad it was. So it was, it was like going from high definition to standard definition. I'm like, okay, I cannot watch anybody's standard definition TV now <laughs> that oh, my eyes cool. have gotten used to. Yeah. So it's like that, that kind of experience. So once you, once you get used to that keyboard, now the only frustrating thing and, and this makes sense. Um, Apple, like anytime you have to enter a password or anything, they, they switch back to the default keyboard. So it's not like fully integrated, but anytime you need to talk, you need to type like a paragraph or sentences, this thing is far superior. Now, do you, do you think that there's a security reason for the, the default keyboard? Like do you yeah. think that there are people that could write keyboards that could inject or record? Absolutely. So there's a, there's, there's an option in there for like full control, but the, I know that the keyboards themselves can, can go to the internet, right? Cause there's like that whole like Jiffy keyboard where you can type in a word or, you know, you type in something and it like searches Jiffy and gives you, gives you a, a, a GIF GIF that you can uh, paste in. Um, so it's clearly like, as you're typing, it's doing that. Plus, um, iOS warns you whenever you install a third-party keyboard, uh, it says, Hey, this can, can read whatever you're typing. And the only time that would be a concern is if it could send it somewhere. So yeah, I mean, you could, you know, I could make Jason's keylogger keyboard and give it to all my friends. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm, so that's what it does. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. By just by default, you can turn it off though. It's it's opt out. Uh, no, so um, so I think that's that's Apple's concern, and and I that's good, I guess. I mean, I it and it's nothing against like the i the the Microsoft one, but other keyboards, yeah, I'm, I'm leery, especially some company you've never heard of that they're that they're not just sending back everything you type. So I'm glad it's not passwords, but I mean that's still not foolproof either, right? Uh, okay, Windows subsystem for Linux overview. So we we did talk about this in our build episode, but this is some of the technical details. And there's also a video in here, which I actually recommend watching. Um, so this is pretty cool. I mean, you know, we have talked about it before, how you can run Linux commands on there. But, you know, watching the video too, you can you can hear some of the, the advantages of doing this. You know, things like... Um, We've had a lot of internal discussion about this, things like Python and Ruby and things like that. They just don't work well in Windows. And it's not necessarily Windows' fault. It's the people that are writing these are not using Windows. So then somebody has to come in and sort of port them. And, um, you know, there are things missing or different. And it, it just happens. And Node.js was in that was in that uh, camp at one point. Like, it, it took an effort to get it to run on Windows. And now it runs great in Windows. But anyway, I mean, this was just an awesome stopgap to make it so you can run all of this Linux stuff. And it's all the Linux native binaries and they explain how those calls actually take place. Uh, so it's really amazing. And this, so this is just the the technical details behind that. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, like, what do you guys, I, I think you and I had talked about it, Carl, but are you excited about this, Jeff? This is, I have never been much of a Linux ecosystem yeah. guy at all. Me um, neither, but. So, so <laughs> I, I appreciate the value that this brings, yeah. but. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to dive in and see how it really benefits me. Yeah, I think it's pretty huge I, because for that kind of stuff. And I and I actually wonder, like long term, what could happen there? So like Node.js had to do all special work to to support Windows. Like, you know, could that go away? You know, could it could it just be sort of uniform because it's hitting against that that Linux surface area and that's just available everywhere? Um, Because even on OS 10, I know it's Unix and some of those things are different, but, you know, maybe it simplifies things. Um, But this this was the pretty much the only way that you could, you know, fix all of the the gaps in the developer experience for these open source tools. And I just it just it happened like overnight. So that's why I'm excited about it. Uh, The web is doom. (laughs) So the average web page is now the size of the Doom install image. And to put that in perspective, I remember Doom, I want to say if I'm if this is if I'm not in, in, you know mixing up with Wolfenstein, it was on I think like five floppies. Yeah. And you'd have to put in you had like that like red bar and then it'd be like insert ne- next disk. Yeah. Um you know like you had to you had to install it that way. So you know, there was a point in my life where that seemed like just massive, right? I mean, only a piece of it would fit on a, on a floppy disk. Now your average web page is that big. So I, think that that's, I think that's <laughs> bad uh, because, you know, we talk so much about accessibility and all these other things on the web to make sure that we're using standards and that screen readers and all this other stuff can work. But we're forgetting about all the people that don't have the broadband speeds we have. Yep. And to pull to, I mean, I was just talking with a guy uh, at a major bank today at lunch and he was saying that um, they're they're revving their entire like homepage where where consumers would come to do their banking, and that the designers gave them a series of images. It's all geolocated based imagery. So depending on what city you're in, you might see San Francisco or Seattle or whatever. Uh, but each image each image is like 800k. <laughs> just yeah. just the image that is the background of the, the rest of the content, right? And I yeah. was like, man, we're pushing mega images through the pipe for these people. This is 
that's too much. Uh, we're forgetting about people. That, right. Just to go check my checking account balance. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, that's remarkable to me. And I remember, uh, you know, way back when I was a kid, really just starting to get into web development. I mean, the idea that an entire web page was a hundred K was that's unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Cause that's like, you know, you're sitting there with your modem and you know, it's just, right. that's insane. But, yeah, you used to now, be able to watch web pages render. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But now, you know, now we have JavaScript libraries that are bigger than that. Um, yeah, it, it which just seems wrong. Which is a tough one because you know if you are using a CDN, then theoretically, you know, you could see those as sort of an operating system that follows you along. I mean, like we don't care like how big Chrome is, right? How big your browser is. Right. Um, and some of those libraries, like if we take the Angular. Uh, JavaScript libraries. I mean, you only have to download them one time. So that, that, that just kind of throws a wrench into it. It's not that, that they can be any size that they want, but it makes it a little more challenging because yeah, I mean, on, on my site, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't think I have many libraries coming in, but you take your average site and they might be using a CDN and, and you know, the actual data you're downloading might only be hundred K who knows, yeah. but actually the most interesting observation here, I think it was in the comments was that this is linear growth. Isn't that kind of interesting? It's not exponential growth. Like everything in computers is exponential, but the size of web pages is linear. Yeah. So whenever you're, you know, and I don't, I don't know um, what the the graph for broadband looks like. I should have done homework and actually looked that up. But I'm curious, like if our communication technologies, if they are going exponential, then the linear growth is actually amazingly good because yeah. it's it's going to get, back. yeah, it's going to get less and less important. Yeah, but I mean, some of this is, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time micro-optimizing certain aspects of our web pages using CDNs and stuff like that. But then we do that at the cost of throwing in like all these ad networks or like you said, those hero images that change based upon your location and time yeah. of day. And it's like, you know, you know, there definitely is a balancing point. And I think that's what's keeping it a little bit more linear as well. But, you know, it's like, you know, like Jeff was saying, you know, where, where do we, you know, optimize for this is what looks best if you have the best internet versus, you know, Hey, I could be maybe not even in another part of the world. I could just be in the woods on my cell phone and yeah. not get that great of cell reception. Now I'm sitting there, you know, I might need to do that banking transaction. Uh, for some reason, uh, I might need to move some money. So, you know, I don't get a bad credit report because I don't have enough in the, in the right account. And I'm sitting there not being able to connect because I'm waiting on 10 gigs of, of images. Right. Yeah. yeah it's I, funny. I, think, I think we do a good job of, of measuring, you know, responsiveness for the size of your browser and use all the CSS we can to make sure that it, it's optimized for your screen. But we, I don't think many places are taking into consideration how fast your connection is. Um, and, and they're just pushing whatever they have through the pipe based on. Yeah, I I think, I think if you, there's a, there's a, it's in the spec, you can use the, um, what the heck is it? This is that my, my terrible HTML knowledge is coming through, but there's like an image source set or something. And I know you can use that for, um, like the high DPI graphics and that. And I think you can, I mean, the browser could obviously take that into account and, and request a lower res version as well. Um, so we, we have, a technical standard to solve that problem. And, and I'm guessing it's, it is used occasionally, probably not I, as much as we'd like. I hope it is, but I, I'm guessing probably not. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't use it. Right. right. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it, I, I just, at this point, 
I mean, I just take advantage of the fact that <laughs> I, most connections are fast. I just throw like the highest res picture in there, which yeah. I, Back in the modem days, I just scolded people for, I was like, you know, Hey, when you do a resize, you don't do it in HTML, you do it, you know, locally and you optimize the image and then you use that version. And now you sort of want to do the opposite because of all these high DPI displays or use that image source set, which is way better to do it anyway. But yeah, I mean, if you look at like a decade ago or maybe even more than that, I don't know people, I'm sure you've heard this, like content is king, content is king. And it just seems like we forget that like every few years we, we go into this cycle where it's just like, oh, wow, look at this, like really cool stuff we can do. Cause originally it was like the Photoshop thing where you'd like slice it up and then build your page based on that Photoshop mock-up. And now it's like, yeah, the hero image is like another iteration of that or like hero images on like each post. And like, it's just gotten out of hand and, and it's like, just content is key. Like if the hero image is not going to fix your content. (laughs) No. Yeah. So, you know, just everybody just needs to keep that in mind. Just like have good content, keep it simple and everything. I think we've talked about this on the show before too, from different aspects, but like if it's not needed, just get rid of it and your life will be much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay here <laughs> tons of new features in windows 10 insider build including the best gesture ever and when i saw that the best gesture ever i was like please be the swipe for desktops please be the swipe for desktops and i clicked i'm like yes yes finally uh so os 10 has this and and it's like it is one of the greatest os 10 features ever and it's such a simple thing you can just swipe with three fingers on os 10 i've heard people say four but you can do it with three on os 10 to switch between virtual desktops it totally makes virtual desktops useful and i would say that one screen uh you know like with os 10 is as it's like 90 percent as good as having two monitors because i can switch back and forth so quick i mean you get so used to it and paired with the trackpad it's just it's just amazing it's the greatest thing ever so when windows 10 added multiple desktops i was like yes okay finally like i'm gonna be like so much more productive and i go in there and there's no gesture for it you have to hit like control left right or something which is no never right uh, it's just never going to happen. Uh, but like on a mobile device is where I want it. And I, I don't know, it's just, it's not going to work. So they finally added it. It's four fingers and it has like some special requirements about machines you can use it on. Cause I don't want to get like all these false positives and stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's in the, it's in the latest insider build. I haven't tried it yet on the trackpad, but you know, this is, this is awesome. This was one of the gaps and it's finally being filled. In fact, we had complained about it loudly uh, this past December in our three plus three random topics episode. So, yeah, you know, you know, yeah, exactly. And you know, what's crazy is that um, we had talked about like some of the things that we liked and hated about OS 10 and then also about windows. And if in, in, this is totally my opinion, but if you look, cause there, you know, there was a, there were, there were things that I wanted in windows. I'm like, we can close. I don't want to call it a gap because the gap was like on both sides. Right. But it's like, th- these things are just like obviously missing from windows. Um, some of the other things were like the, the notification syncing. So that was announced at build. We got the gestures. It's like the list of things that in, that's in OS 10 that I, that I miss, that I wish were in windows is like extremely short now. Like I can't really think of anything yeah. major offhand. There was another really big one for me. Um, it has since been fixed, but I was, I've been on a Mac for the last year at this startup that I've been working at. And I fell in love with the fact that I can do all of my texting directly from the desktop. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that, that mobile integration. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had never seen that in windows before. And I was telling a friend of mine, I was like, 
this this is almost like game changing because I don't have to yeah. take my phone out of my so, pocket. That is big. The other cool thing is that it'll even work on Android, not just with Windows phones. Yeah, with right. Well, Windows, so that, yeah. that I mean that's amazing. That's very very cool. But when I when I heard that it works in Windows, I was like, all right. Cool. I'm on my way back. <laughs> exactly. That's such a good way of putting it. I mean, I still use, I still use a Mac. I mean, I use a PC 90% of the time. Uh, but I, you know, like even when I'm at home, you're like the Mac is sitting next to me. And honestly, somebody texts me, I text them back from the Mac yeah. uh, just cause it's easier. But if I can have that on across all my devices and, uh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, which actually brings us into our next story. Good segue. Uh, who's this guy? Apple is a Microsoft OEM. So this was actually my blog post. So backstory, I had, <laughs> I don't know how much of a backstory you want. Cause I, I had, uh, um, I drank two cups of coffee and I, I don't know. I'm, I seem to be like extremely caffeine sensitive. I normally just have one cup and I had two that, that morning and that morning. And that keeps me up at night. Uh, so I actually wrote this at like 3am. I just woke up and I couldn't sleep. I'm like, I got to type this thing out. So I typed it up. So the, the, the general gist is, you know, we, we've talked about Macs on here a couple of times. And that, like you said, that three plus three episode, we, we sort of went over some of this stuff, but I have to keep having this conversation. I'm like, I'm going to type this thing up. And it is, it is just so funny when I am in a, a meeting with, you know, partners and other Microsoft people and they go, you know, cause my, my laptop is a Mac and I do have a service pro three and some, I usually like alternate between them. It sort of depends what I'm trying to do, but, um, they'll be like, you have a Mac. That's that's crazy. Like you can't do that. That's like anti Microsoft. And, and every time I have to explain this, I'm like, okay, well you you have an HP, you have a Dell, you have a Lenovo, which of those are made by Microsoft. Right. <laughs> you know? And they're just like, Oh, well, that, that's not quite the same thing. It's like, well, how so? Cause I know, and this is not like inside information. Like, you know, you can go out there and find like people talk about like how much Microsoft actually makes whenever you buy um, you know, like a Dell, you know, Microsoft only gets like a tiny piece of that. The reality is I'm running windows on my Mac as well. And like, you know, if you, if, if you normally do that, I mean, you have to go out there and buy a full windows license. Plus I have office 365 on there, VS code. I mean, we've talked about this before, all the, all the cool things on there, but the way I see it, Apple is just another OEM. And I really don't see how they're a competitor in any way. I mean, it's not like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't really don't see how they're a competitor at all. That's it. (laughs) So I just, I had to, I had to get that out there. Um, And then I sort of ended it with when I bring my Mac into a meeting, I'm developing my next Azure application in visual studio code, reading my email and outlook and creating spreadsheets in Excel. I no longer understand why my Apple laptop running all Microsoft software is all that interesting. So, and then uh, use what you like. Remember the world has changed. That being said, I got the new surface pro four type cover for my service pro three. Oh my God. Is that thing so much better? It is way better. I got that yeah. immediately when it, they announced it, and yeah. it's ninety percent of your upgrade from a Surface Pro three to yeah. Pro four. Yeah, like don't even buy the Surface Pro four; just get the keyboard, and you're pretty much there. The trackpad is better. The keyboard is a billion times better. So, all right, that's a have, good tip. I'm I'm rocking the Surface Pro three right now with the original keyboard. Go get the new uh, one, man. Sounds yeah, like I got it's a good night time. night and day difference. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do with my, I just like, I, my daughter played with it for a while and I just, I have a hard time throwing away something that was like over a hundred dollars, but like, what am I supposed to do with that old keyboard now? I mean, it's, I'm not even going to keep it as a backup. If this one, if I break this keyboard, I'm going to go buy another of the new one. It's, (laughs) I mean, it's that good. 
And then, of course, at the, in the comment section on my post, I had all these people. To be fair, Windows is complete trash. Like, what? That's not <laughs> that really is, being fair. It's it is totally not being fair. Like, it just, I, I just, I really don't understand that. Like, I can understand having, like, a bad experience. But, like, to say Windows is trash, again, I use it 90% of the time. I rebooted today because um, I, had a, I had this weird application issue. And I haven't rebooted in, like, 45 days. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Like, ridiculously stable, fast. And I mean, there's, there's very few features that I want that are not there. So I, I just don't get it. If, if you're not, if you think, if you think windows is complete trash, like just go give it another try. Um, I, I just, I don't get that. Uh, I think it's crazy. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. Uh, so let's talk to you, Jeff. Let's see what, oh, okay. uh, let's see what you have to offer on the show here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with this whole like m- magic wand thing. Cause that really got me curious. Cause I think, I think what you're talking about, like if you go to, um, uh, what is that? Like great wolf lodge, they always have this, uh, magi quest. Is that, yeah, I, 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 haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been to a great wolf lodge, but where my adventure started was, um, actually at universal studios in, in Florida. Okay. Um, they have a, they just opened a brand new Harry Potter park. And so they have one, they have two theme parks there and there's a Harry Potter area at each of them. And we went there, I don't know, four years ago and we took our kids and you could buy magic wands, but they were just replica wands. Mm. Um, they, you know, you could get the ones that look like all the different characters from the movies. Um, but when we went there this time, they had, it was basically like a $7 upgrade instead of $39, they were $46 or something, something outrageous. And, yeah. uh, you're still playing for paying for a molded piece of plastic. <laughs> um, but it comes in a nice box and you get an experience and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, you you get these interactive wands. And what they allow you to do is go through both of the parks. And they have these little metal plates in the, in the brickwork around the mm-hmm. park. And you can take your wand out. And if you do the gesture that is on the, on the plate in front of you, um, then something interactive happens right in front of you. Right in a store window or a, a cauldron will tip over or whatever. Um, and it really intrigued me as, as a technology guy, like, well, I wonder how that works. Is this thing have a battery in it? How? Cause they no, kept it's, saying it's magic. It, it absolutely <laughs> is magic. Um, but I, I wanted to know how it worked because it seemed like they said, if it ever stops working, come back and we'll repair it, um, and we'll, or we'll replace it or whatever, but we'll make sure that it, it continues to work. And I thought, man, there's gotta be like, are they really molding a battery right into this? Cause there's no compartment on the wand or any place that you could really fit anything in there. And so the kids had a great time. And when we got home, I was like, man, this is, this is terrible. Like I bought this cool wand and my kids have it. But now that they've left the park, we live in Ohio. That's kind of not that close. We don't go visit the parks that regularly. They don't do anything. And that's that I thought that was terrible. So I was trying to figure out how could we, you know, use these in other ways to do other cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't gotten that deep into it. But what I found out was um, the wands actually have nothing uh, exciting and there's no electronics or anything <laughs> in them at all. Um, what they have is a, a little plastic tip, uh, a little reflective plastic tip that reflects infrared light. And so uh-huh. when you go up and stand in front of those plates, they're shining infrared light on you. And then they have a camera um, that's actually in the display. And so when you wave your wand, it can see the infrared tip of your wand just light up because it's it's reflecting that light back to the camera. Um, and it reminded me uh, very quickly of how Kinect works. Uh, and I thought, ooh, I wonder if I could do something cool with that. And so I sat down. Uh, you know, a couple of days after we got home from Universal and I brought in it, I ripped my connect out of where my kids play with it. And I brought it into my office. There was uh, crying, I, but right, whatever. I said, daddy's working. You know, that's just, <laughs> uh, and I set up the connect and I, as soon as I just, I was just displaying what the connect was seeing. 
And as soon as I held the wand up and pointed at the Kinect, it was like this beam of white light just shining yeah. on the tip of this thing. It looked like I had a magic wand in my hand. Uh, and I just thought that was absolutely amazing. So um, my thought was, and I, I've, I've kind of put a plan together, but I haven't executed it yet, is to try and build something that would allow people to interpret other gestures or even to interpret those same um, kind of wand gestures that they have in the park to do all the spells that you have in the Harry Potter books. Um, because one of the things that I think is a big miss for Universal in all of this is why not partner with like Barnes and Noble or other places kids are going to go buy these books um, and let them bring their wands oh, to yeah. the stores and have a display there where they could do anything, anything that they could do with these wands uh, above and beyond the parks, uh, I think would be a huge, huge win. You could even do it in movie theaters, just a little standalone display that has this kind of stuff sitting in it. Um, you could even so add, I, uh, you could add voice recognition. So you could do like the spells. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, th- I think that there's a, there's a big opportunity there. Um, but it's, it's not like Disney where Disney has their own stores and it would be very easy for them to kind of roll a thing out. Yeah. Um, Universal doesn't have that kind of, uh, retail presence. And so they'd have to do some kind of neat partnership. But I think, especially with a, a new Harry Potter movie coming out soon, um, and some of the other things that um, they're doing with these parks, I know they're, they're opening one in, in Hollywood now. Um, I think that there's an opportunity to really kind of blow this out. How cool would it be for your kids to dress up like Harry Potter, go to the, you know, go to the mall or go to their local Barnes and Noble and be able to do some cool stuff while they're picking up the newest book or, or whatever it may be. Infragistics, Ultimate UX and UI Tools, and Enterprise Mobility Solutions, SharePlus and Report Plus, enable high-performance apps on any device – faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, while your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. So, you know, as part of that, that whole like connect and detecting gestures, have you ever looked into Carl Franklin's GitHub page? He's got a connect gesture pack out there. Well, you know what? That's, that's actually where I started. So, okay. um, I started taking his stuff apart. Um, and as you heard, just heard me cough, I have been incredibly sick for about the last eight weeks with bronchitis and all sorts of other nastiness. And so I haven't had a lot of opportunity to really dig my, my heels into all of this. Um, but I, I, it's still on my list. I have a, a plan on what I want to try to accomplish. Um, that, you know, I think the real challenge will be how far can I take it? Uh, because at some point, if I wanted to sell this or market it to places like Barnes and Noble, I'd imagine Universal is going to step in and be like, wait, what, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me. I don't, I don't think they have a, a patent on it. <coughs> So what I, what I was mentioning earlier was this Magi quest. And I, th- I think they're paired with like Great Wolf Lodge. They're always like next okay. to it or in them. And I took my kids to this and I was just blown away. If you ever have a chance to go to one of these things, it's it's just, it's insane. Have you ever been to one, Carl? No, I haven't. Oh, you have to take your kids. This is like I the greatest experience. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. So you, I, 
my son, he's like, we've got to do that. I'm like, I don't know what this is. It sounds stupid. So you go in there and you buy the wand, just like you're talking about Jeff. And I, I was looking at the tip and I was like, what the heck is this? Right. And I, it, now that you mention it, I think it is a, um, an infrared. Um, I think in their case, I thought it was an emitter. Cause I, I think there's a battery compartment on this one, but I could totally be wrong. Now, that being said, um, what you do is like right when you buy it, they have a thing there. They're like, oh, to make sure it works, like wave it at the cauldron. And yeah, it starts like steaming or something. And then this building, this is like a huge building, three. Yeah, it was three stories tall and you go on a quest. So you start with this giant tree and you walk up to it and you wave the wand and it starts playing. And it says, you know, like, which quest would you like to go on? You pick the quest that you want to go on and then it gives you clues. It's like, oh, visit the fairy princess and she'll give you some instructions. So you like you walk around and you find like the princess and they'll have like giant screens and stuff. Right. Um, And you walk up and you do it and she's like, oh, well, you need three ingredients for this spell. And then you end up like walking up to paintings and like the paintings move. Um, You have to, there's like stairs and elevators and there's like stuff you have to climb through. And there's like a a forest. There's all like all these different like environments that you go into, but everything is activated with that wand. Um, And it's just amazing. And then you can also collect different power-ups, you know, by, you you know, you see one and you can, you know, shoot the wand at it. And some of them have to be stacked. So you have to get them in a certain order. Um, We were there like four hours and we did like 10% of it. Um, Wow. Yeah. I mean, you could, depending on what age your kid, if you're, if your kids are on like, you know, 10, you know, plus or minus like two or three years, like they might want to stay there for like six to eight hours and then also go back. Um, It's crazy. Like if we're ever near one again, like they will go in for hours. Even my, my four-year-old, she was three at the time. She was good for like two or three hours. Um, just, just playing around on stuff. Um, and then I was even running around trying to find stuff. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of like a, I don't want to say it's a well-kept secret. Cause I mean, there were plenty of people there, but the whole thing was sort of magic to me. So they, uh, you know, it is it, like the, the technology is there, but you're totally right. Like that, that's, they, they just keep it within the confines of this building. Um, right. if you can take it outside of that building and bring it into a store and do some cross promotions, that could be pretty powerful. Yeah, and so where that led me was um, thinking about how I could get the kids. I had I started playing with some home automation stuff, and I, I don't mean to segue if we want to stay on this. Um, no, it's but fine. I thought it would be cool for the kids to be able to walk around the house, wave a wand, and turn a light off, right? Which is a yeah. thing my children have never done in the history of their lives, which is actually turn a <laughs> light off. Um, but I thought if they, you know, if they had their magic wands, man, that would be super cool. Or if they're laying in bed, they could just wave their wand, and boom, it turns the, the light yeah. off in the room. Um, I haven't gotten that far, but it's, it really wouldn't be that difficult looking at kind of some of the things that I've gotten into, uh, related to that. Yeah. So you said that it's a reflector. So do you, you, so you basically need an IR emitter and then you need a sensor and then it will yeah. basically reflect it back. Yep. But that's, uh, that is what a connect is. So, yeah. uh, connect makes it very, very simple. Otherwise you've got to come up with. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess the, the difference in my mind is, is connect has like a very, I don't want to say expensive, but I'm, I'm going to use that word expensive sensor that can look at the entire room. Um, I'm wondering, like, can you scale that down and just get like, you know, just a signal that says like, Oh, Hey, I just saw some infrared from somewhere. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's another option I looked at. Um, you remember that it used to be banner ads all the time for something called X10. Yep. Uh, it was a camera system in your house. So those cameras um, have a ring of uh, infrared lights around them so they can do night vision. Yep. Um, and the, and the, those would really be the same thing. The difference would be is that now you've got to take that video feed and interpret somehow um, sitting on top of something else where you can actually, yeah. um, you know, 
take a lot of the data that Connect generates and instantly act on it, you'd have to take, I mean, those X10 cameras are cheap. They're 10, $12. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Even my, yeah, my, then, all my then you have to, cameras do that. Yeah. But then you have to interpret it um, and understand yeah. what it was and where did it move and you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I, there's a trade-off. I think that if you could write the software to do it, you're one, you're a very brilliant developer because I think that's some really hard um, problems visual, to solve. Visual, like real-time visual processing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for the price of a connect, which is, you know, it's a hundred dollars, uh, you could even use the, the V1 connect. Um, I think that those kinds of things would really do pretty well. Uh, yeah. it, but again, it's not something you're going to put in every room, uh, because you're, you're going to just rack up cost and connects aren't yeah. that pretty to put on every surface. Or, or you can figure, you can figure like a, yeah, connect for the entire room, you know, cause I keep thinking of the light switch scenario, but honestly, like one connect can, can, can cover your whole room. There's, yeah. um, if you go to the Microsoft campus, they have different examples of this in different places. If you're in building 33, which is like the executive briefing center, as you walk down, like the, they look like they're pictures, but they're actually TV screens and they change as you walk down, which is cool. But then in building 16, uh, whenever you're in there and you walk up the stairs uh, for the second floor out of the lobby, um, as you're moving, like there's like leaves, like kind of rustling around and like this music plays. And I didn't even realize it until somebody pointed out there, like, look up and there's a connect, like in the middle of the ceiling looking down and they configured it. So like, it knows who's there, how many people are there. And then based on the movement, it actually changes the, the ambient sound. Um, so if there's like, if you were like a group of 10 people, like it's really loud and changes and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like right there, you know, you already have all this other ability, but yeah, you could pair that. Now the wand is enabled, fully enabled for the entire room. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think it's neat. And I, I, as I left Universal, I really felt like there was a missed opportunity there um, to really blow out what those wands could do. Yeah. Because kid, every kid that goes to Universal is going to want one of these things. Yeah. But once they go home, it's just going to sit in a box and collect <laughs> up. Yep. So actually, one other idea for you. Sorry, I just, I'm going to keep like spewing out ideas here. Sure. Um, but I wonder, there's, there's really no reason why the IR reflector only has to be at the top. I mean, I don't, I don't, if you actually had like, um, IR, I don't want to say tape, but like if it was IR reflective across the entire wand, then you could actually get a better idea of orientation and those types of things. Cause as yep. it is right, you can only see the tip Yep. with IR. So it would be kind of neat to have, make the whole thing like, you know, have like IR strips on it or something fully reflective. Are, yeah. yeah. Fully reflective. So you can get full orientation and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I looked at uh, playing with the idea of the uh, the sensor bar from a Wii as well, yeah, because um, that yep. that solves a similar problem. But again, the, the the interpretation, the fact that I already have an ecosystem and an API directly into a Connect that I can just plug into any PC, yeah, uh, makes it a really appealing device. Um, and you know, uh, Wii doesn't offer that, and certainly like those X10 cameras don't. You know, the interesting uh, but, thing about the sensor bar on the Wii is, you know, it's not a sensor bar, right? Yes. It's, <laughs> all, actually, it's, it, it's actually the reflector. Yeah. It's, it's actually, well, it's actually just, it's two IR lights. That's all it is. And in fact, if you, if you take two candles and you put them at the right positions, you could actually use that instead of the, the, the emitter. <laughs> That's um, pretty funny. And actually the problem that I had, uh, the reason that I'm very familiar with this is in my, my old basement, we had these lights and they had a certain spacing and they were kind of far behind us. And it would actually, you could, you could point the Wii controller at a set of lights and you could use it. So you could actually point the Wii remote in any direction. It would still work, except it caused all kinds of interference. And then the other thing was we had a Christmas tree that was right next to the TV with LED lights and it would pick all those up as if they were the Wii. 
So like oh, we, man. it was the, the, the Wii U, the, 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 the Wii remote was uh, completely useless in our basement <laughs> because of that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, so anyway, let's talk uh, home automation. I, I, actually, oh, I, go ahead, I, Carl. Just wanna, I just want to toss one little idea. I've been kind of sure. researching this on the side. So you're talking about it would take it like a really smart person to kind of put some of that stuff together to like, if you were to reuse that wand. Well, I, re- I remembered OpenCV and that's the Open Computer Vision Project. And what's really cool with that is you can use that project to actually kind of like phase out the entire background. So you would just see, since you're that IR mm. reflectionist, yeah. right? So you could actually uh, convert that image or a series of images that you have into a standard uh, uh, gesture uh, that a, that the Windows platform will recognize. And you can oh, actually, cool. you can create an event off of that. So that that's awesome. I hadn't heard of that one. Yeah. So that's so, just to so give Carl's you- you're a smart person. Awesome. <laughs> no, I'm not the smart guy. I just read about the article. <laughs> Carl can read, okay? Yes. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so now can we talk home automation? Yeah, let's talk about home automation. Okay. So let's talk home automation, Jeff. All right. So in in doing in doing what I was doing with the wand, I, I was trying to think about uh, you know, how would I rig that up? How would I get the kids to be able to turn yeah. the light uh, on or off? Um, and so I started buying some parts and pieces and, and playing with the, you know, the ecosystem that's out there. And so I, I bought a, uh, an Amazon echo when it first came out. Uh, and I have been since then trying to sell it to my wife as a thing we should have purchased, uh, because, you know, I, I'm quick to do that. I'm quick to adopt something and try it out and be like, ah, oh, it wasn't very cool. And then it ends up in a drawer or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it brought enough value initially out of the box to be able to be like the, uh, the speaker in the kitchen. So if you just want to turn on some music, um, it was, it was great for like recipes and stuff like that. Um, and you could always easy, you know, easily check the weather or whatever, but it was, um, it was not $179. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, which is the statement my wife used a couple of times. So, uh, <laughs> I was like, well, wait, I know we can do more with this because it has all these voice commands and I know that it ties into, um, if this, then that. Yep. So let me see what kind of other kind of cool stuff I could do. And so I started, um, rigging it up to if this and that, but it, there was nothing like, I always feel with, with things like, um, if this and that, that we're so close to cool, but yet not really there. Uh, a good example is, um, you know, being able to set up recipes, everything is one, this and one, that, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of times where I want, um, you know, I want the outside lights on my house to turn on at sunset. Um, but not if it's raining or maybe if it's raining, um, things like that. And to add any of those kind of like if statements or conditionals, um, just isn't possible with, with that kind of system. And so, um, I, I played a little bit with it, but there was nothing terribly interesting I could do. I could send some notifications to my phone. Um, but it was, it was pretty, pretty basic. Um, and so I, I said, well, let me, you know, one of the things that I'd really like to be able to do is turn lights on and off. So like you can say, you know, Alexa, trigger good night. And what that lets me to do is turn off all the lights in the house. Now, assuming I had them all hooked up, but mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, that's something that's compelling. Now, when I get into bed, I'm like, oh, I forgot to turn the kitchen light off. Um, rather than having to go get up and get downstairs and, and go turn the light off, I can just say, Alexa, you know, uh, trigger good night and boom, all the lights in the house turn off. Um, that was, uh, that was a, a cooler one for her because we have a couple lights in this house that we never remember to turn off. And so every time it's right after you've gotten comfortable and you're like, all right, starting to drift. And she's like, ah, oh, that light's on. So what so, are you actually controlling the lights with? Okay. So that's a, 
That's a good question. So I bought some hardware um, from Belkin. They have a series called Wemo, and um, they they make several different devices. They make uh, a light switch, uh, which is honestly you're going to unwire and rewire this new light switch into your house. Uh, they make um, an outlet switch, which is basically just a plug that sits on top of a plug, uh, but has all the smarts in it to talk to your Wi-Fi and everything like that. Uh, they have smart light bulbs and things like that. And then they have uh, one other piece, which I'll talk about in a second, called Wemo Maker. And it's basically just the guts, um, but it has um, contacts so that you can talk to low power devices like your garage door. Um, so those kinds of things, um, I, I have picked up at least one of each. And in fact, the, my office that I'm sitting in right now, um, I have just a standard light switch across the room, but I have a couple of the, the bulbs in the lamp above me. And there, there's good and bad to this, right? It's, it's nice. My office is one of the places where we never remember to turn the lights off, but it's right at the bottom of the stairs, so it shines up. Uh, and illuminates the whole upstairs. Um, it's it's nice to be able to turn those bulbs off. The problem is, if everybody participates in the the um, home automation ecosystem, it's perfect. Um, everybody goes into the app. Anybody can yeah. do it via unless they Alexa. turn off the switch. Right, but my wife uh, <laughs> does not care at all about any of this technology stuff, and so she just walks in and turns the light switch off. At which point, there's no power running to anything, which means you've just disabled it. my home automation. <laughs> right, uh, I've been foiled so easily by a light switch. So the the, the bulbs on their own, I think, are uh, are not a great story because if the light switch gets turned off, you're just stuck. In the same way, with uh, I have um, one of the outlet covers, um, they're just the, the outlet switch, and if I I have a lamp plugged into it. Um, the problem being that my wife will just go over and turn the knob on the lamp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now you can't do anything with that. And I had a friend come over and I was like, oh, check this out. And I went over to Echo <laughs> and I said, Alexa, trigger the orange lamp. Uh, and she did. Nothing. She goes, okay, I'm sending a command. And then I heard the box click because yeah. it has a little audible noise when it happens and nothing happened. And I was like, <laughs> what? Why welcome could, to why the future. <laughs> right. Uh, and it was because we turned the lamp off the way lamps have been turned off for a century. So, yeah. Um, so th there's good and bad to it, but it, it has become kind of a, a neat experience. Um, there, there's still limitations, I think, to a lot of this stuff. Um, they're still very, very simple, pretty dumb devices. And there aren't a lot of um, API hooks like I hoped that there would be. Um, but there's enough so that If This Then That can, can do a whole bunch of things with these Wemo devices. Um, from being able to turn them on and off, I can, make lamp I can make lights blink. One of the things that I'm working on right now is trying to figure out uh, a data source that I can use that um, can recognize uh, when my sports teams win. Um, there is an ESPN plugin for If This Then That, mm -hmm. but it only lets you know when your team's game ended, but it does not indicate to you at all uh, if your team won. Well, how good are you and, at picking teams? <laughs> uh, well, so I grew up in Cleveland, uh, and so my teams don't win that often. Well, there uh, you go. <laughs> you know, I was thinking with like you know with the with the Cleveland Browns, um, my my NFL team, if if I could set it up so that the lamp in my family room blinks every time the Browns scored a touchdown or every time they were oh, that, that would actually, that'd be cool. Right. I mean, I think that would be really cool. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not a major endeavor. It's just that the data sources aren't really there. And if no. this and that as a service doesn't really and provide some of that data, you have to pay for Yeah. Getting it, getting access to that kind of data is pretty tricky. And I, I've dabbled in, in sports data stuff in the past. And it's, uh, it's very, very expensive mm -hmm. uh, to try and get access to that without just screen scraping or doing something a little less um, reputable. <laughs> so um, <sighs> yeah. And then getting back to like your, your office there, I mean, so the logical way to solve your problem is to put in a switch, which of course the problem is that switches 
uh, oftentimes, you know, instead of thinking of it as a light switch, think of it as a circuit interrupter, right? All it's doing is like allowing power to flow or not flow. So the, the shortcut that, that people will often take is to make it so that that's just the, the hot wire or the, or the ground wire. I actually, you know, I'd have to look up which is preferable, but, uh, you basically just interrupt that one wire. So you actually don't have the other wire even existing in there. So, you know, you don't even, you're not even able to complete a circuit, so you can't power a switch. And even if you could power a switch, then the issue becomes, okay, well now I got 120 volts. How the heck do I get that to something that's not going to kill my user? That's, you know, right. Uh, right on the other side of the switch, which means you need a transformer. And that's just, you know, that's horrible because transformer is equal heat and inefficiency, uh, or you put a battery in there and then you got to change the battery. Like there's all sorts of issues. Like right. I, I was hoping that we would, you know, I was hoping in the year 2016 here, we'd be at a point where we had solved this somehow, you know, my, my, I'm crossing my fingers that one day we'll have like DC in the home and then, um, and, and these switches will be, you know, maybe like a 25% premium over dumb switches and everybody will just say, you know, I'm just going to put those in instead. And then, you know, even if they don't use them, they'll, they'll still, they'll be ready to do this kind of stuff. But like, we're still, we're no better off than in like 1980 at this point. No, I, I mean, thankfully the setup for these is pretty easy. But I look at like installing the actual smart light switch. Um, I mean, I had to go down, turn the power off, and I had to wire it all up. Then I had to turn the go down, turn the power back on, come on back up, and configure it to set up to the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Then once I did that, I didn't want to. I didn't want to wire it all into the wall yet. So now I had to go back down, turn the power off, came back up, shoved everything in the wall, screwed everything into place, uh, went back down, turned the power, and came upstairs. Nothing was working. <laughs> and I'm just tearing my hair out. Like it was working before I put it in the wall. Yeah. Uh, and you know it. And when you look at it, I mean, a stock light switch that you can buy at Home Depot is a nickel, right? I mean, it costs practically nothing. Yeah, uh, uh, and and these, swi- these switches with all the smarts and Wi-Fi and everything else, because they have to pr- they have to produce their own Wi-Fi signal. You connect to that with your phone. You give it your home Wi-Fi credential, yeah. and then it starts using that. And so there's a lot of parts inside these things, and I think it costs forty bucks. Yeah. Uh, for a light, for one light switch. I mean, I can't afford to put that in every <laughs> light switch in my house. Yeah. And they don't even work. They don't even work as three ways. So if you have anything in your house where more than one light switch controls it, these don't work there. Yeah. Um, and I have that all, you know, my kitchen, my bedroom, there's lots of places where I have um, a three-way switch. So uh, that's, that's a downside too. I think they're working on it, but that's, that's a harder problem. Uh, I think because yeah. now these light switches need to be able to communicate with each other and understand when one's on or when one's off mm-hmm. or whatever. And Wi-Fi is congested enough. Like, you know, hopefully, Ugh. hopefully there's, you know, not a congestion issue there. And then hopefully it's not going out to the cloud and trying to round trip every time as well. Hopefully it's smart and can cache them that locally, but I definitely wouldn't cross my fingers. So have you looked at uh, smart things at all? Uh, you know what? I, I looked at smart things and I looked at Wemo and I, at least I felt for the cost, uh, Wemo was uh, the superior ecosystem choice at least at the time okay um i think that smart things has some good things going for it but it's it's more expensive um okay. for a lot of the same stuff that's funny because um, so I, I basically made the same evaluation but i went smart things <laughs> interesting yeah interesting because yeah, they both look really great uh yeah. yeah i'm looking at the product page like it's almost all the same stuff a lot of the same integrations and and the the echo does interface with, um, smart things. That's like the only thing I have that interfaces with. Um, I mean, that's, that's the problem I have. So I have amazing, uh, Wi-Fi thermostats that, uh, I bought four years ago and I think they were 150 a piece. They were a lot less than nest and they do this cool stuff like uh, geofencing so that when my wife and I, when both of our phones are outside the house, it switches to away nest finally got that feature. Like they were just really good Wi-Fi thermostats. 
Um, but of course nobody supports them. And then right. my, so my smart thing lights work, but my security system, nobody hooks into that. There's some half baked code that you can sort of hook into smart things that I spent, I don't know, 10 hours on and, and, <laughs> don't, and nothing where, and I spent money on it and nothing works. Um, right. yeah, it, it, yeah, that, that, that was and, one of the things. Oh, and then I use a music service. I use uh, Apple music, which the Amazon echo doesn't support. So that's right. why I didn't buy one. Yeah. So, and I think that's, that's one of the other big misses in all of this home automation stuff is that the promises that they make and the, the dream that they sell for what home automation is, is great. If you're a single person, mm-hmm. uh, like you, you mentioned both your phones being out of the house and setting it to away. Um, I thought it would be great for, um, you know, geofencing around my house. So as I pull down my street, my garage automatically opens. That was, that's what I'm using the Wemo maker for. Yeah. Um, and so it, you know, it can trigger to open or close my garage door, but Garage doors aren't smart enough, so all I'm really doing is sending a signal to it to say "do the thing," and if it's open, then it <laughs> no, closes. No, it's, it's do closed, the opposite of yeah. It's basically you're basically yeah. saying do the opposite of what you are right now. Yeah. So and that, that's actually the project that I'm building, and you actually have to have another sensor then to detect well, what state oh, yeah. is it in. Ugh. Right. And there there isn't a good one that ties into um, the the entire ecosystem that I built around Amazon Echo, if this and that, and Wemo. There isn't a sensor that plugs into any of that stuff. Um, at least not effectively. I'm sure I could rig something up on my own, but just off the shelf, there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I feel like that's a huge miss. So what I did is I have an old webcam sitting around and I mounted it in my garage and I can check that from my phone so I can open up the, the, the webcam app and see if the garage is open. And then if it is, I can close it, mm. um, you know, sitting in bed or if I'm, you know, on a beach someplace and forgot to close my garage, I can do that. Um, but the problem with that is that, you know, this geofencing and all this other stuff would be super cool if I knew that the garage was always going to be left in the state I left it. But my wife and my children opened the, and closed the garage. And so uh, that's all I need is to pull around the corner only to see the garage closing. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that doesn't solve the problem for me. So I'm going to save everybody a lot of time and money here. If you go to smarthome.com, um, basically you, my my tip of the day, I guess, is to if you want any kind of sensors, Go out there and what you can do is you can buy um, security system sensors. And the great thing is security systems, every every sensor that they make that's not wireless is basically an open, closed contact. Okay. So if you want to know if a door is open or closed, a window, a garage, my house, even though I have no automation, is actually completely outfitted with all this stuff. And it's dirt cheap. So like they have amazing uh, garage uh, door sensors. So both my garage doors actually know if they're open or closed. I don't do anything with the information, but my security system knows that. And I can actually, it, it, I actually have a panel next to me that I turned it off because it was making the dog bark, but it will actually talk and say garage doors open and it'll do all that kind of stuff. Um, so those sensors, I want to say for the garage, they were like 10, 15 bucks. And those are the more expensive ones. So it's, you know, just monitoring whether or not the one thing is near the other one, but it's just an open, closed contact. So if you have a way of reading that, you, you know, a lot of your problems are solved. Every single door in my house has one of those on it. it the house is fully wired for that, um, which, cool. which was, which is pretty slick. And the sensors for the doors, I want to say like $4. These sensors are not expensive if you're if you're able to wire them. If you're going wireless, then it becomes this whole other issue. But I went the the really simple approach. So you know, Carl, for your for your project there, I know like Clark Cell. In like, fact, one one of the I think like the third thing, if you do a search for a garage yeah. door sensor, like the third one is the one I have. 
Okay. For my project. So, awesome. So I remember like Clark Sell a couple of years ago, he was talking about, he's like, oh yeah, we, you know, he's all these pictures. He's like, we made this, this thing for my garage door and took us a day. I'm like, you know, you can buy that for 10 bucks. And he's like, uh, well, that's not the point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, sure. That's not the point in what you were trying to do, but I suspect like, had you known that you could buy that for 10 bucks, you wouldn't have fabricated it. Uh, right. cause you know, you'd rather do like the programming and the, in the automation parts of that. So that's just a, a tip for you is to buy the security system, uh, sensors. That's very cool. I will uh, I'll have to spend some time on there. Yeah. Yeah. And see what I was trying to do. I was trying to bridge my, see my security system actually knows everything that's happening in my house and I have motion sensors everywhere. Like it knows when people are in rooms and all that kind of stuff, but the security system, like it's all on like this board from, I don't know, from like 15 years ago. Right. Um, and that's, they, they've just never updated. They just stamp these things out. And, um, so what I did, it, it will send out serial commands based on activity around your house. So I bought this little ethernet, uh, interface that will read the serial commands and it'll actually, uh, I can call an AP or there's an API where it like pushed to me, like everything. And I had it working like in a terminal window. It'll sit there anytime anything happens in the house, like blink, 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 blink. Like it's, I, like, there's a, it's like fiddler for your house. Yeah. It's like <laughs> fiddler for your house. Exactly. That's cool. Um, and then I was like, Oh, I just got to hook this up to smart things. And just, I lost my mind because, you know, like the, some of the numbers because of the way the serial real communication where it was just really confusing trying to figure out what sensor was what. And I just gave up. So I don't, I don't use any of this stuff. I mean, the only security <laughs> I actually use in my house is that I have like cameras everywhere and they're always recording or they record when there's motion. So I'm just counting, like if I get robbed that I can like, they can hunt down the person that stole my stuff. Right. So, okay. So let's see where, where are we at? Um, so we talked about if this, then that, which is very cool. We talked about Wemo, smart things. We talked about sensors. Um, anything else as it relates to home automation? Um, I mean, I think that's, that's been most of it for me. I, I wish that, um, as I look around these ecosystems, I mean, I think everybody's just trying to do kind of the bare minimum, right? Everybody's got a smart light bulb now and, um, some basic things like power outlets and and light switches, but I, I don't understand yet why, um, I have to have a whole new ecosystem or a whole new device, uh, every single time I want to do something new. I mean, it seems to me we're in a day and age where when I'm sitting in front of my television in my family room and my doorbell rings in the corner of the screen without having to buy a whole system, I should be able to see who's at the door. Yes. Right. I mean, that should just be a thing. Everyone. We can. have the technology. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's not that I don't want to go to the door, but it's 95% chance it's my son's friend. Yeah. So why don't I just say Miles go to the door? I don't want to have like, I don't want my seven year old going to the door for anybody. Yeah. But when I know 95% of the time it's that kid across the street, just go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I don't have to stop watching uh, game of Thrones or whatever the thing I was doing. Yeah. So uh, I, and that, I think that's the thing that drives my wife the most crazy about all this home automation stuff. I mean, what you've heard me talk about so far is I don't have to get out of my warm bed to close the garage. I don't have to go downstairs, to turn a light off. Like this is just enabling the it, laziest people. On I know. Earth. And it's half-assed and it's a pain. It's a pain to set up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for enabling laziness, but it's gotta be cool and easy and affordable. And I don't feel like it's any of those things. yet. No, <laughs> it's like, it's like you have the triangle and you know, normally you pick two, but you get to pick zero right now. Right. <laughs> you see I that mean, triangle, like, you know what the triangle looks like. It's got three corners, but you don't get any of them. Right. Um, I mean, I'm, and it is neat. I mean, it's very cool to be able to turn a light switch off yeah. without having to go to the light switch. But right now I just feel so slothy doing it. Like yeah, lit- I could have just walked out. Yeah, literally the only automation, and I'll show you since we have video now, there's this lamp on my desk here. It, it, if it's after four, 
there's a sensor on my bookshelf that you probably can't see it. It's like, uh, right there, that little white thing right there, that mm-hmm. sensor, if it sees me moving, will turn on my lamp. That's the only automation in my entire house. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm playing uh, like Agario or something, like I usually sit really still and it turns off and I have to like move around to get it to turn back <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Were you going to say something earlier, Carl? Carl? Yeah. You know, you know, I was looking at some of the other Wemo things and some of them like, you, you know, and some of them seemed like out of place. But when you had mentioned things that are like actually useful instead of you know, like I- enabling laziness, you know, they got stuff like a crock pot. And I was thinking, you know, there's been times mm-hmm. where we've been at sporting events for the kids that, I mean, these are like all day tournaments and, you know, we threw something in the crock pot and now we realized, you know, he, they won and they have another game that we weren't anticipating that's going to be uh-huh. two additional hours till we get home. Well, it would be nice to be able to turn it down or turn it off. So, you know, it doesn't, you know, ruin the food. Yeah. But at the yeah, same time, the problem with that is I like, I have to go buy a brand new crock yeah, pot. Yeah. Yeah. And not only <laughs> that, but it's, you know, $130. Whereas one, I have my crock pot and two, it was like $30. Yeah. Right. Well, that's why I think a company like Samsung, I mean, they said that they're all their products are going to be IOT enabled and that helps because for them to say that is means that every product for them, at least I'm sure they're going to gouge everybody, but for, for them, at least it's a five cents extra for every product. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the reality of it, because if, as long as they have a commitment to it, you take that giant number that it costs to outfit everything, you divide it by the billions of products that they make. And it's like five cents for each thing. Um, yeah. so, and then the other thing is, is just interoperability. And I, you know, these companies, we had Josh Holmes on a while back and he talked about, he called it cookie licking. And I love that. He's like, all these companies are doing cookie licking. They want to like have, you know, like, Oh, I licked the cookie. Like it's mine. I own automation here. Like, you know, not, you know, I, I can talk, I can, I, your phone can talk to this lock, but, uh, you know, if you come to us and kiss the ring, you know, maybe we'll let you integrate with that. And it's like, that is not going to fly. Uh, the home no. of the, the home of the future, when we figure this out, I, you know, God, I, I just, hopefully I'm not wrong on this, but it's, it's gotta be like everything just being as open as humanly possible, talking to each other. And I know that that's yeah. like the approach that Microsoft has taken. And I, I think that's the only way to win. I, I think that is that will be the final end game, but we're we may be ten years from that. Uh, yeah. uh, now, so let, let's flip this on its head for a second, uh, because speaking of Josh Holmes, uh, Josh and I are friends with another person named Jim Holmes. Yep. Uh, who's who's one of the guys that uh, originated CodeMash and a few other things. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had an interesting tweet uh, related to IoT the other day, which was IoT is just someone else's computer sitting on your network. Uh, and it, it's really interesting to think about it that way because as, as you look at um, what was the the device that um, Google had just acquired and then they just shut Nest? it down. And, but oh it, it, yeah, it was like Revo or something or yeah. But it, you know, shutting it down that's fine. And the, the parallel someone used for that was imagine you bought a tractor from John Deere and you'd been mowing your lawn with it for two years, and then one day they just come out with a trash compactor and destroy it because you're not allowed to use it anymore. Yeah, that's basically what Google did with this product. It wasn't that they're going to stop their services. It was that everything about that ecosystem is done. Um, and that is another scary part to this whole Wemo and smart things and, and everything else is that if they decide they don't want to do it anymore, how, how at, at their mercy am I? Yeah. Uh, do, does all my stuff stop working? Um, I, I'd hope not. I'd hope that they're just talking directly to my Wi-Fi and that I'm not actually going through some kind of uh, Belkin web service that if they shut yeah. that down, none of my stuff works anymore. Well, um, I'm sure you are today. Like that. It, yeah. Yeah. Unplug what, your router and find out. <laughs> what, what about the security aspects of that though? I mean, they, they have their own firmware sitting on a device that has access to your home network. 
Uh, well, that's kind of a, that's a broad, that's really, that's like a big discussion that we should probably have like Clemens Vasters because he, he can talk about that for an hour. Like that is a, I don't want to say it's a solvable problem, but, and, and I, I know people have, have like thought I was crazy when I said this, but like you already have this problem. Like we, this is not new. Like we have computers, right? Are computers secure? I would say no. Everybody uses them and they make the world better. There's the illusion. There's the illusion with your computer that you control what's on it. Uh, well, to, to some extent, but but the, the point that I'm trying to make is like they, over time we figured out how to improve things. Now there's obviously still like major issues, but like companies like Microsoft and, and other companies have figured out how to deliver, uh, you know, secure software at Microsoft. There's this whole, uh, SDLC or whatever the, the secure development lifecycle I don't know what the heck it stands for, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a complete end to end process and rules that you have to follow and checks and balances to deliver as secure software as you can, you know, for, you know, while remaining in business. I mean, obviously you could take billions of dollars and like make it marginally better, but it's like, you know, a process for improving this whole thing. And it's, and it's worked. Like we are talking on a computer right now. Our lives are not ending. Uh, computers run medical equipment in hospitals and and things like that. So the, you know, in IOT, there've been a whole bunch of really bad examples, but of course I can, I can go create a new operating system and give you a horrible computer that can kill you. But that doesn't mean that all those things are bad. So I, I see kind sure. of the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's kind of, that's like death. I, well, right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I see the good at the end of the tunnel where, you know, and again, Clevens Vasquez talks about this all the time, but like, if you follow, if you are very disciplined in this and it's going to take, I, th- I think it's going to take a lot of big companies to come up with this, the infrastructure, um, and, and to, to, and to get this whole thing kind of pushed in the future. And then everybody follows these rules and they, they follow certain patterns and they can, they can live within their sandbox. And then it's, then it becomes less of a security concern. It will always be a security concern. Uh, but you know, we just have to minimize it. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I'm the guy that's got this stuff rigged up all over my house. Yeah. So it's not as if these concerns are bothering me. Yeah, I've been watching just, you, you know, on your a... camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was an article recently. I was talking to, like, what the director of the FBI has, like, the tape over his webcam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. uh, anyway, so uh, one last thing, and then we should probably move on. There's a there's an article I'm going to put in the in the show notes, and honestly, like, I it's super super long. Uh, so I, I like skim through it. I need to go back and like, I want to spend like some quality time, like reading this thing. Cause, uh, this guy goes through and he talks about, um, a lot of the IOT things we're talking about and, and how, and, and how it needs to be like at a different layer. And I think a lot of it aligns with things that I've talked about before, like the, the concept of presence, you know, so you, um, you know, we talked about your phone geofencing, but I, I've always talked in the past about how, you know, let's say I have a newer car, you know, I, I'm guessing Tesla, they must, they must have like a GPS and they're probably transmitting coordinates or something. Right. So they are, they have, um, you know, the car knows its location, your phone, you know, ha- it knows what your approximate location is your, um, I don't know what all these different devices. I have motion sensors in my house, uh, your nest mm-hmm. thermostat, um, you can name a million things, heck, even the camera on your computer and the microphone, like not even talking about like communicating with the internet, but like my camera sees me right now, my camera, if it had any intelligence whatsoever would say, Jason is sitting in front of me right now. So yep. imagine that having all those sensors available to you and having it say, well, you know, Jason's car isn't here. His phone for whatever reasons at the neighbor's house, 
Uh, but I am sensing motion in the office and his camera sees him, you know, so all those things need to work together and say, Jason is here and guess what? He's in his office and then use that abstraction for, for doing things, you know, for realizing like mm-hmm. where I am. And if I had a connect in this room, that could be another input. And if, if the camera didn't see me, um, then maybe my present status changes, you know, because it, again, it's taking all these things, it's aggregating and coming right. up with this other layer. And but that article, that aggregation of all the sensors, that is the gold. Yeah. Uh, and I, man, we are so far from that. It kills me. <laughs> yeah, they do it. They actually, you can do it in like industrial manufacturing, but in the home, yeah, it's not even close. Mm, no. Okay. Should we move on? Yep. Okay. Uh, what do we got next here? I don't have any picks of the week. What do you got for a dev tip of the week? So I just wanted to call out, you know, once again, since this is evolve is happening, mm-hmm. that Xamarin uh, made good on some of the promises that build at opening up their source code. So if you go to open.xamarin.com, you can actually check out the source code for Xamarin Forms, Xamarin.Android, and Xamarin.iOS. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, you can check it out. Um, and, and apparently one of the, the tidbits of information is uh, Xamarin.Forms, uh, in Visual Studio now, the actual renderer that will, you know, you know, do all the uh, IntelliSense and displaying the information is the same XAML renderer that WPF uses. Oh. So it's just kind of interesting that that code is so closely re- related that it's being reused. Okay. I love reuse. Okay. So, Jeff, <clears throat> pick a number between one and four, inclusive. Four. Four. Okay, here we go. There's the question. I'm going to read it, though. Just so people know it's like a real game. This is the first (laughs) time ever on video that the game has been on video. Would you rather have your entire room be pink or wear only pink clothes? I'll handle the pink room. That's (laughs) fine. I can leave the room. Yeah. What's wrong with pink, Jeff? No, there's nothing wrong with pink. But if if we're making it a bad thing, uh, I think that I would rather just have my room be pink. Yeah. That would be just fine. Yeah. Okay, Carl, what number do you want? I'll take number three. Number three. Would you rather accidentally get two broken legs at the same time? Whoops. Or accidentally get one broken leg and one broken arm at the same time? Um, I would have to go with two broken legs. You know, you can at least get a wheelchair and, uh, arms are way more useful, at least for typing and stuff like that. So yeah, I could at least still do my job. Cause you can't really walk with one leg. So I think that's a good call. And look, I have a marker now on the video feed. See, they're getting all this extra information. You can see the marker. You can see I cross off the numbers. So we finally won't have duplicate questions for the first <laughs> time ever. Okay, Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Blankenberg. Uh, I'm on the web at jeffblankenberg.com. Uh, pretty much Jeff Blankenberg everywhere. You'll find me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, and I just saw your note that you have to leave in the next six minutes. And that was like seven minutes ago. Uh, Four minutes. <laughs> and Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash And don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. So uh, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about magic wands and, uh, and home automation. Thanks for having me. 